Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the program. We are live, I think, from Blastoff Productions here in New York City, and you're listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. It is Election Day in America, so get out and vote. It is your right, and you must do that this year more than ever. In the news this morning, I'm sorry, at the top of the hour this morning, while one of the smaller states in the U.S., Connecticut, has the 19th largest shoreline at 618 miles, approximately 125 of those shoreline miles are along the coastal towns of Greenwich, Stanford, Darien, Norwalk, Westport, and Fairfield. The ability to live on the Sound in these sophisticated and amenity-rich communities with proximity to New York City and the business centers in Fairfield County has made this waterside landscape highly sought after. It is also a rare commodity. We will talk to an expert this morning. Also at this hour, the number of South Fork homes on the east end of Long Island has uh, seen sales drop in for the third consecutive quarter this year. East end home sales slipped by more than 10% for the third quarter in a row. This according to 27 East. The third quarter dipped more than 13% compared to the same quarter in 2017. Sales at both the low and high end have fallen off. We'll talk about it, but first I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I'm Vince Rocco and you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. Uh, In the news this morning, the economic numbers are in for October and they are good. Employment in New York City was 1.6% higher in September than a year ago with 71,000 jobs added. Education and health services continue to fuel job gains, adding over 40,000 workers during the past year. Manufacturing was the only private sector industry to lose jobs compared to a year ago, and gross domestic product expanded at 3.5% annual pace in the third quarter, higher than most economic uh, advisors had expected. Uh, Combined with the second quarter for... uh, Second quarter's 4.2% growth rate, this marks the best six-month growth period in four years. Consumer spending, which accounts for more than two-thirds of the GDP, grew at its fastest pace in almost four years. Rates for a 30-year conventional mortgage averaged 4.8%, during the first week of October, slightly higher than the week before. One year ago, rates were averaging 3.94%. I thought they were lower a year ago. Anyway, the acceleration of economic growth in the U.S. continues to push mortgage rates higher, leading to a slowdown in home buying across the country. As I said at the top of the show, the number of South Fork homes on the east end of Long Island has seen sales drop for the third consecutive quarter. South Fork homes slipped by more than 10% for the third quarter in a row. 27 East local uh, newspaper out there has reported these findings. The third quarter dipped more than 13% compared to the same quarter in 2017, according to a Miller-Samuel report conducted for Douglas Elliman. Sales at both the low and high end have fallen off, bringing the median uh, home sale price in the area up by $100,000 to $965,000. Insiders told 2070s that middle uh, the slide in the number of uh, sales is due to Wall Street being unsettled by market gyrations and geographical uh, events. Experts also credit a tax migration wherein homeowners in high tax areas like Connecticut, for example, flee to lower tax areas like Florida. The Hamptons luxury market is also often in sync with Manhattan, which had a 11, an 11.3% fewer sales in the third quarter year over year. 
And finally this morning, Motivate, the parent company of Citibank, is making it easier for people to go to the polls on Election Day, which is today. The company is planning on offering unlimited bike rides all day in New York City and eight other cities in order to assist people in making their way to the polls. And this according to Streets Blog NYC. The move was promoted by a study that found many young Americans that are eligible to vote don't do so because of poor transportation options. We want to make it easier than ever to pedal to the polls this election day, said Julie Wood, a spokesman for Motivate. So what's wrong with the subway? All of a sudden they can't get to a voting pool, a voting booth? I don't, I don't think it has anything to do with that, really. But it's good that transportation options are being provided. It, it, very true. And so now we have to watch out today for bike riders all over New York City, and you don't want to get clobbered by one of those. That's In the true. rain. Yay. In the rain, of course. Okay, so our special guest today is Robin Kammerer. Yay. As the executive director of sales at Halstead in Darien and Rowayton, she works to direct and manage the two offices with more than 90 agents. In her previous role as communications executive for Halstead, Robin handled all the public relations activities for the firm for nearly 10 years as the firm grew to include 1,200 real estate agents. Wow, that's amazing. I remember those days. And realtors (laughs) across New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut joining the firm in 2006. Robin was quickly promoted to Vice President of Communications because of her outstanding performance and media results. In the spring of 2010, she was promoted to Executive Director of Communications and held that position until her recent advancement uh, to her uh, new sales leadership role in Connecticut. She brings 19 years of real estate, public relations, and corporate communications experience to Halstead. Prior to joining the firm, Robin worked at a uh, at a full-time marketing and public relations firm in Irvine, California. I didn't know that. You didn't know that? I didn't know that. Isn't yeah. that something? Yeah. Where her clients included residential and commercial real estate, mixed-use projects, and interior design. She's born and raised in Connecticut. She graduated from the University of San Diego. There's the California connection. There you go. Uh, with a bachelor's degree in English literature and French, she resides in Rowayton with her husband and two children. She's an active member of her community where she serves on the executive board of the Rowayton Elementary School's Parent Teacher Association and also volunteers as a coach for the Darien Youth Lacrosse Team. Good morning and welcome to the show, the program. Good morning and thank you for having me. So let's get at it. While to one of the smaller states in the U.S., Connecticut has the longest shoreline at 618 uh, miles. Approximately 125 of these shoreline miles belong to the coastal towns, as I said before, Greenwich, mm-hmm. Stanford, Darien, Norwalk, Westport, Fairfield, etc., the ability to live on the sound in these sophisticated and amenity-rich communities, not easy, uh, <laughs> but it's made, water, it's made the waterside landscape uh, very sought after and, and, and super rare as a commodity. So my, my feeling is, and I know Connecticut very well, I grew up in Westchester and I happen to love that area very much, but what is the climate these days in the Connecticut, I'll say, landscape? So the climate along is the along the coast. If you've got a rare property that comes on the market that's kind of a one of a one of a kind, it flies. The waterfront definitely moves a lot faster than something that's further up that has, let's say, more land. Everyone wants the waterfront. It is a coveted spot. Um, there are a number of homes that just it, it's just a stunning little spot, whether it be Greenwich, Rowayton, you know, going up to Westport, every little bit of water is different, whether it's tidal or, you know, direct It's true. Front. And even if you take that coastline, um, as I did a couple of summers ago, I rented a house, a summer house in Madison mm. along the coast on the on the way to, I guess, Rhode Island. And, you know, that entire shoreline is amazing. It's absolutely beautiful. And you're right about the water. It sort of changes as 100%. it goes further out. 
and and gets better and 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 whatever. But what what is the I mean, what is the climate these days from a buyer's perspective? I mean, here in New York City now, I just get finished reading all these wonderful economic numbers and and growth, you know, in the United States and in the in New York City. But yet we are struggling from a real estate perspective. And as an industry, we all kind of look at each other and talk about it with our friends in the office, like, what the hell is going on here? Because we have such great numbers. Where is all the business? So how has that translated to Connecticut? Are you seeing buyers reluctant today like we are? Or is it sort of like mm, business think, as usual? I think we're seeing the same same similar situation. You know, you've got buyers that are very hesitant. It's definitely a buyer's market. We have, you know... A, a large amount of inventory. So they the buyers have a lot to choose from. There's no, you know, sense of urgency. They don't feel, oh my gosh, I have to have that. That being said, you know, right. when a rare waterfront comes on at any price point, that usually is snapped up pretty quickly. So it just depends on the house, the price, but you do have buyers that are definitely more in control than before. So are you saying that uh, it, it, it's really driven like here based on price? 100%. Okay, and price per square foot because you know when we we show our <laughs> when we show our listings here in New York City, it's always the same thing. I mean, the buyers walk in the door, they go straight to the window, and they look out the window to look at the view, and then they come in and they look around. And the second question is, so you know, what's the price per square foot, or how long has it been on the market, and blah 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 blah. So you know, the thinking is that when you're out of the city, because I only have mm-hmm. New York City experience, although I am looking with my sister in Westchester for houses. It seems vastly different than how we we conduct business on a on a regular basis. So of course the New Yorker here says to the brokers up there. So how long you're on the market? So now I put myself in the buyer's uh, position, out of the city, and I I'm trying to get a, an understanding of how those markets work. What are buyers really looking for in Connecticut or in the suburbs? So they really want value, right? They want to make sure that they're not overspending. Mm-hmm. Um, they almost want to see at least one price reduction. They don't want to see it just, they don't want the price per square foot. We definitely have some buyers that make that comparable, you know, oh, we looked in New York, we bought price per square foot. It doesn't really translate that well out in the burbs because you've got acreage, you've got location, you've got neighborhood. There's so many different variables than just the square foot. You know, you got proximity to the train station or proximity to town center. So price per square foot, it's part of. Their look, but it's definitely not the, you know, do all end all, but that's what they have to have. They really want the value. They really want, you know, moving ready, you know, this HGTV Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. phenomenon. Well, I was going to say, so the so part of the draw, so so when people here in New York City decide, all right, I'm going to take the leap and I'm going to to move out of the out of the suburb out of the city and into the suburbs, Connecticut, of course, being one of the more popular choices Mm -hmm. here in our area. So are they looking for the land? They're looking for a value. You know, we understand the value is there and if the price is right, they're going to snap it up. But what are they looking for? Is it, is it you know, they want to raise their families in the burbs? They want to raise their families in Connecticut? The schools are better or not? I mean, what are they really leaving the city looking for? What is their expectation? It's almost like they, they want more space, obviously. So they're leaving the city. They want to be in close proximity to the city. Connecticut's less than an hour. Um, so commuting wise, it's you know definitely a good option. Lower taxes than Westchester, which is obviously a great yeah. option. Yeah. Um, but they want, at least buyers today, they want it picture perfect, move and ready. They don't want to do any work whatsoever. Um, I, I including that, painting, <laughs> you know, yeah. like something as simple as that. They See, just and I can't would never move into anything envision. without painting because I would feel like it's not mine until I put a fresh right. coat of something 
on the wall, but that's just my, my neurosis whenever I bought <laughs> apartments here in New York City. It could be moving ready. It could be completely renovated. But you know what? I have to paint. Mm-hmm. It, it's got to happen. All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back, talk more with Robin on the other side of this. We will be right back after these messages. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We are back with Robin Kemmer, Executive Director of Sales for Halstead in uh, Connecticut. So, Robin, you know, are, you know the, the suburbs, for the most part, become secondary homes for people, the Hamptons, Connecticut, Westchester. Do you find that a lot of people coming up from New York City are buying secondary homes, or are they buying homes to live in and raise their family, or, or sort of a split between both? It's really more primary homes that okay. they're buying. Um, there are definitely some second home buyers, but for the most part, I would say it's primary home users. They want that end, that end use. And talk, let's talk about the, let's talk about the sizes of some of the properties up there and the, and the price points of some of the properties up there, because as you said earlier, uh, compared to uh, Westchester and certainly compared to New York City, the taxes are a lot less. The prices used to be higher, mm. but they seem to be on par, I think, with you know a lot of the Westchester areas. Although, again, as I said, I'm I'm looking with my sister currently in Westchester, and the prices, the purchase prices of the homes are really coming down significantly <clears throat> because you're talking about anywhere from sixteen to twenty five thousand dollars a year in property and school taxes up there. So that's significant. What's the spread in Connecticut? So the prices are are such, and the uh, the taxes are low. Where 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 are you today with 
the actual purchase prices of these homes? Are they come down a bit or are they still the same? They definitely have come down a bit and it really varies from town to town, right? So in Darien, the average price is about 1.3 right about now, mm. according to third quarter. Um, and that's three beds, three baths, two beds? It's usually like four beds. Four beds. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. It totally, you know, it completely ranges. Like if you wanted a cute, sweet little colonial four bedrooms, you can get that for easily one three. And people really want close to town. They don't want a huge amount of land. Right. Um, they want to be able to walk to the train. They want to be able to walk to town, which is really kind of changing the dynamic of the suburbs. You know, some towns definitely have that, some don't, and are making changes to do that. I wanted to ask you about that because we talked about it a little bit uh, this morning <clears throat> in the green room before the show. So walking distance to the train makes a lot of sense to <laughs> it me. It does. But does that increase in the value of the house uh, or does it not? For example, you know, here in New York City, we have all of our spots. I want to be mm-hmm. on the park. I want to be on the water. I want to be here. I want to be there. I want to be downtown. And all these special neighborhoods in Manhattan carry, you know, uh, lucrative price increases, whatever. Is it the same? So if I want to live within a five-minute walk to the train in one of the, the Connecticut towns, is that more money than if I'm further out with more land? I don't think it's necessarily a huge amount okay. of more money. Um, you know, you're you're doing trade-offs, right? So if you're closer to town, you're going to have a smaller parcel of land. If you're further out from town, which is still, you know, not even seven minutes to the train in a car. That's not huge. No. I'm just talking, you know, seven minutes in the car versus five minutes walking. It can it can mess, you know, it can, it can change your mentality, yeah. at least personally. You know, when we bought in Connecticut – we bought a house that is walking distance to the train. I can be there in six minutes. To not have to get in the car and drive and to have my kids there meeting me at the train station, that's, you know, that's what I wanted. And to be able to work in the city and come home and not on a snowy day and not have to take your car <laughs> out like I used to do yeah. in Westchester. I would uh. come down, it rains all day in the city, it's snowing like crazy in the suburbs, and you get home and your car is under two feet of snow. Now, how do you get home? I don't have a shovel, right? Right. Which, which, how do you get out of that? You got to dig your way out. <laughs> they were always smart kids from the high, local high school. They're kind of hanging around oh, uh-huh. <laughs> with, <laughs> with shovels really? because they knew people like me are going to say, hey, wait a minute. Now, I entrepreneurial. can't in my car, right? right? Very entrepreneurial. So, you know, but that's a problem. So if you can walk, you don't have to worry about that. Hold, let's talk about Holster for a minute. So mm-hmm. they are the, the, the leader in the, in the listen, and all the, the, the stuff I looked at this week in research. Holster's like kind of number one up there, and that's that's really cool, knowing that we haven't been there for a long time, but mm-hmm. we are really doing well. So we're the leader in the waterfront real estate uh, community up there in southern Fairfield County. How, why is that? How did we take over in such a short period? I mean, I know you're fantastic, but how did we get there? I think it's a combination of having really, really good agents who, you know, some have been born and raised there, right. especially on the waterfront. They know the markets inside and out. They know how to market a waterfront property. They know the flood zones. They know, you know, the elevation, all those different nuances that come into buying a home, which are totally different than buying in the city, right? So they they get it. They came to Halstead because we're different, right? So we can market, we can do we things are that, that are outside the box and we can have that flexibility because when you're privately held and you want to do something a little bit different, you want to do a different kind of video, we can do that. And that's kind of what sets us apart. You know, we have just tools that other firms don't, you know, a 3D walkthrough. We sold a $5 million waterfront home. The wife hadn't seen the house. She moved, they were moving from California, husband had walked through it. She walked through it virtually and she said, okay, you know, he likes it. Let's go. And yeah. the first time that she saw it was when she, they literally pulled up with a moving truck. Please tell me so, she loved it. 
And she did. She did. Love it. And it was a magical spot. There was almost a new sale. Brand new construction. Very risky. I can see if it was flipped. She saw it and loved it. And he didn't see it. He was in California. It's a good marriage right there. That's a really good marriage. That's a a lot of trust. A really good technology with the FaceTime walk. (laughs) Seriously. She trusted her husband. And they obviously know each other and and do that well. But, you know, virtual uh, purchases, I've only done that once in my career. And Mm. it's it's just not not easy. I feel like in the suburbs, though, it may may be easier because in New York, by looking at the exterior of a building, you can tell nothing. Mm-hmm. And you could have a really good floor plan and you could see some of the interior. But when you're in the suburbs, I, I just know this because I grew up in them, there's much more that you can collect just from the view of what right. it looks like from the outside and right. the community that's near. So I feel like it would be a little bit easier to do that kind of thing. 100%. question for you is, not to divert, uh, yeah. digress, but one of the problems I have when I'm looking at, at, at uh, suburban listings is... There was never a floor plan. <laughs> I want a floor plan. We're no so, kidding. We're Such so a New Yorker. Never so understood true. that. So yeah. you gotta My sister right? says to me, look at the pictures. They look beautiful. I'm like, I get, I get it. Plan, but right? but I, I need to see how it's We spatially. have floor plans for townhouses yeah. here. Yeah, yeah they'll right. have like 40 photos and no floor plan. Yeah, so, yeah. Right. And so but is there a reason look for at, that? So if you look at Halstead, right, I've really pushed the floor plan because I'm like, New York buyers want to see it. They're used to it in the city. They yeah. want to be able to see that floor plan. I think for sellers out in Connecticut, and this is kind of putting you on the reverse, it's a security issue. You know, you've got, if you're isolated on a two acre parcel yeah. of land and you've got little kids and your floor plan is out for everyone to see, right. that would scare the living daylights out of me. Everyone knows where oh, your really? entrances are. I never thought of that. Especially I would never, thought of I would so never think about that, but I get it as you say that. Sometimes I, I it can be remote and sometimes people just don't, they don't care. Right. But I'm sorry, that also, smells like laziness to me. That's a regular excuse. Yeah, it sounds like collusion to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good talking points, Robin. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Nice try, Robin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tough New York crowd. <laughs> Show us the plan. Yeah, no, but, but again, if you go on the Halstead website, you can see all of the plans. Right, but again, representing my sister, yeah, you know, enough. searching in the in, and I drive these these agents out there crazy. I'm like, but just just draw one for me, please, so I can have right. a little sense of what the inside looks like. So of course we show up and look at these houses on the weekend, and you know they're fine because the pictures are like here, sometimes good, sometimes not. But a lot of the times not. <laughs> I, a lot of times not. But you know, I won't go to a place even in the city with a, with a buyer as long as they agree. If the plan doesn't work for them, and so mm-hmm. sometimes it's really all about a plan, not just a beautiful room, a beautiful decoration, a beautiful you know fabrics or whatever. Right. It's about the layout. Because you can't lie yeah. with the plan, right? You, you can you can fudge a little bit. Like if tax records aren't showing up right, right on the MLS, which again is a little bit different than the city. You know, it might say What's three bedroom. MLS? So MLS is a. Because <laughs> 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 in the city, we don't really have tough a tough crowd, Robin. Tough, tough crowd. I know, right? I, so I, I told you it would be easy here. I guess it's not. <laughs> <laughs> we love you. Oh gosh. <laughs> no, but 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 no, you're I'm right watching. though because you know the, you you have what you have and you look right. at it and that's what it is, right? So. Well, and sometimes you know the MLS multiple listing service pulls from the tax records sometimes. Yeah. So if someone's done an addition and hasn't updated it in town, it might show still as a three bedroom, but the floor plan shows you. Oh well, look, this could be your. We could use this as a fourth bedroom. That's you know, that's point. it's much more. It's much more transparent, which I'm a huge fan of. But, but I, I think it, it just adds value. I think all of us agree that a floor plan adds value because mm-hmm. buyers know what, uh, in most cases, what they're looking for right. to to a foot in right. some cases. So it would be nice to see those. Yeah, dimensions, right. D- dimensions of a room. Sometimes they, they think of their furniture and they think about how can I place this or where can I place this, whatever. Yeah, so it might, it might cut down on showings too. How many right. times does like an apart, uh, uh, house 
typically have to be shown in order to transact? Good question. That's Good a great question. question. And wow. it's hard because it really depends on the house. You know, we've sold one, you know, with three showings. We've also right. had ones that have had, you know, double digit, way too high showings wow. and still, do, still don't have an offer. Are you doing lockboxes regularly or are you showing as agents? Um, I would say it's probably 70-30. 70% have lockboxes. Um, 30% don't. That's another good question. And oh. the reason I say that is because, again, showing <laughs> my sister, we get a lot of lockboxes. So to ha- how, I mean, I guess it's a it's Which a is probably better for you, right, Vince? I mean, you probably like it better that way. I do right. as the buyer's agent. But it's yeah. weird as an owner. Like some random agent who you don't know is picking up keys to your house. That's, my, very that's my point. How do the owners... It's, it's a little nerve-wracking. Yeah. You know, you would hope that it's, you know, a lot of the times if they, the agent will do a preview with the listing agent. So that always helps kind of avoid that whole lockbox scenario. Yeah. Or if it's an active agent, they've been to the broker open before. So they kind of know the layout of the house. Mm-hmm. But I would say, you know, a lot of our agents like to be there and but, be on site, but even how, if there is a lockbox. I was going to say, cause that's a good point because yeah. how well does, I mean, a transaction have, how, how does a transaction happen and how well does the buyer's agent really represent that house? Because at the end of the day, it's, it's the listing agent's, you know, listing. I here in the city, I would never just because a lot of times I never give say, keys out, but it's just not feasible. Do ever show in the suburbs? Well, know? some right, That's it the isn't, thing. and I will never leave a key at the door. Never, I'll go out of my way to make that showing because it's my listing. Mm-hmm. I know this apartment, I know this building, and I want to represent it the way my seller has hired me to do that. But I know it. I know it's very different in the burbs because I'm I'm going through it uh, again <laughs> with family. It's yeah. And I remember when my mom was selling her house years ago, um, the, the broker wanted to put a lockbox on her door. And she said, oh, no, no. She called me. She said, this is what she wants to do. I said, well, if it makes you uncomfortable, tell her no. And so now the agent had to go and show every time because my mom said, I'm home. I don't want just people randomly <laughs> showing up <laughs> and walking into my house. You know, because they, oftentimes they don't call. They'll call the listing agent and say, I'm going to see it today. Right. But don't know what time. Anyway, on the flip side of that, so how often do you see people leaving Connecticut and coming into the city? I mean, you've got it. Empty nesters, mm. you know, raise their kids, now coming back to rah-rah in Manhattan. You're going to come back someday. Uh, one day. One day I'll come back. We, we, we believe that, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Please. One day I'll come back. Um, you know, it's a, it's a mix. You've got a lot of people who are moving down to Florida, you know, to yeah. kind of benefit from the taxes and the warmer weather. You know, you definitely have a percentage that come into the city because they, they crave that lifestyle. Most of the time they've already been here, right? And they were here 30 years ago or 20 right. years ago and they want to go back into the city. Um, but I would say majority of the time they're either moving – if Sellers are either moving up in Connecticut or they're moving out, mostly southern Yeah, yeah. areas. Uh, yeah, I, I understand mm-hmm. that. $17 million is the highest closing price on the waterfront in Lower mm-hmm. Fairfield County this year so far. And we're in yes. November. What was that about? What kind of house was that? It, sound, I, it sounds, it must be glorious. It was glorious. It was on over three acres. Um, it was a person who was associated with, like, let's say, a not-so-great news story. Um, it was the mm-hmm. brother of a famous person who's now currently on trial. Um, it had started in one the 30s. One of those. Um, started in the 30s. It was interesting, though, because I was looking on the MLS yesterday. There were no interior photos of it, only exteriors. Interesting. Um, which is always a red flag, because you're like, oh, it doesn't look good. And I think it was more a privacy and security concern um, to only show the exteriors. Um, but beautiful waterfront. Um, <clears throat> had once been on, though, for thirty over $30 million and traded at 17 Yeah, that's, uh, in, that's incredible. Yeah. So uh, 790000 is the lowest closing price for 2,968 square foot Tudor-style colonial. 
uh, in Stamford. Now, we all would say that is an unbelievable price. Can we have two of them? (laughs) (laughs) Was was it a big fixer-upper? Well, that's what I was going to ask Robin. I don't really know what, you know, um, but for almost 3,000 square feet, that's a very good price. It was darling. And it was so cute. And they had obviously freshened it up. But that one started on the market in 2013 at 1588, went down to 1295 in 2016, 998 in July, motivated seller. Then traded, actually Halstead sold it for seven ninety. So you're looking wow. at a chink, chink, chink. But it seemed that the person had owned it since the early 70s. So obviously had a certain value of uh, it's Japan, it's beautiful, it's waterfront, it's gorgeous. Um, lots of paneling probably and in, in need of, you know. You know, they had, it looked like she had listened. It looked like she had updated it and renovated it and it was darling. But again, you have to be at that right price. Yeah. Was for it that continuously on the market that whole time? No, it was, it was on, off, on, off, on, on, off. And I think they had, you know, four or five different agents. All right. Well, we've got a few minutes left in the segment. What is the most active town currently in mm. your region, in Connecticut, for those? And by the way, those of you who have referrals for Robin, Robin Camera, <laughs> Halstead, Connecticut, send them her way. What What is the most active town right now in Connecticut? That's a really tough question. Um, I would think Greenwich is probably pretty active. Stanford, um, moving up the line. Yeah. Darien. Everyone's got their own ideal of the suburbs, right? And if they don't find it in Greenwich, they're moving up the line to Stanford, further up the line to Darien, Rowayton, Westport, Fairfield. Stanford, to depends. me, seems like an easy transition from a city person who wants to go to the burbs. And mm-hmm. so they go to Stanford. You can get a little bit of country. You can get a little bit of rock and roll. Right. But, <laughs> and maybe over time, move out to Darien or to Westport or to whatever. A hundred percent. I yeah. mean, you kind of have the best of both worlds in Stanford, right? So you have right. that urban downtown area, but you also have that beautiful, <clears throat> gorgeous all the parks and all the land that they want and the acreage. And it's big. It's a very big spot. Um, you know, just size wise. So of course there's gonna be more sales there than let's say Greenwich or Darien. But it's it's definitely a great spot for people kind of moving out the city, trying trying the burbs out. Robin Camera, sales director up in <laughs> up at Halstead, Connecticut. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. See, for it wasn't me. that difficult. She's oh gonna stay gosh. with us for the rest of the show. Crazy. We will be right back. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events 
to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back, and we are here today with Tracy Hammersley from Douglas Elliman, John Harrison from Core Real Estate, Sean McPeak from Halstead, uh, Ari Harkoff from Halstead, Jordan Shea returning from Douglas Elliman, and Woo-hoo. Jay Overby returning from Halstead as well. Good morning, to all of Good you. Morning. Good morning. I feel like morning. it's already afternoon. <laughs> right. <laughs> Happy Election Day, Vince. Happy Election Day is right. Okay, let's get at it. You are selling your co-op. You've listed it with a broker, and it is on all the best real estate sites and held several open houses and private viewings. You've managed to get, collect multiple offers. As any co-op developer knows, this can be like throwing darts while blindfolded, hoping just one can get past the board. Depending on how difficult the board is, this can sometimes be the most challenging part of a co-op selling experience. For those of you out there in listening land who don't understand co-ops, we've talked about it quite a lot on this uh, program. It's very different than anything else in the world. Because your board decides to nix your buyer of choice, if they choose to, you have to start the process all over again. So the, the, the bottom line is they can approve somebody or they can say, no way, Jose. Only one thing left for all of us to do as agents with our sellers is choose the right buyer who is most likely to pass the board scrutiny and then pass the interview. Two separate pieces, both very important. So I ask you guys who are senior, experienced agents, how do you do this? Because up front, everybody thinks it's easy. Just, oh, I can make a sale. I have a buyer and we're going to go to contract. We're going to do this and bang, disaster. And we all know in this business if your eye is off the ball, everything goes sideways, especially in a co-op. Total package. I think that it's it. You cannot. And this is a conversation I have with a listing, uh, a selling. Uh, uh, one of my sellers is we're not going to look just for the price. We're looking for the total package, mm-hmm. the person that's coming in. So I've had something recently that went into contract, and we had multiple people. Some of the prices that were offered were very, very similar. But this is where we really had to dissect. Okay, which ones do we think will will pass the board. Um, so I think that that has to be a conversation right up front that it can't just be about the price. I think, Ari, I'm going to ask you because you have a large team and I'm sure you have a lot of uh, junior agents, you know, who are learning the business sure. and coming up. So I, I see sometimes in the business, you know, more senior people like John just described will kind of look at the whole package and understand what is going to fly with a co-op board. So what have you seen 
in 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 your experience with some of the less less experienced agents where they get a deal, they want to do it right away, the price seems good, oh my God, that's over asking price, whatever, mm-hmm. let's, let's just push it through and make it happen. What do you, how do you counsel them with that? Yeah, I mean, I think so. What John said, you know, it, it's definitely a package and I would, uh, you know, so th- they're a combination of factors. So there's the financial component, you know, how much money do they make? What's their debt to income ratio? What liquidity will they have after closing? There's the sort of intangible component of what kind of reference letters will they get? How will they present in a board interview? What's their personality type? They fit into the demographic of the building. You know, we've had issues with buyers who are eminently financially qualified and they get turned down because the board sees them as some sort of like rich young trust fund kid. Uh And even though there's cash well in excess of the purchase price and probably many of those board members couldn't afford to buy their own apartments in today's market, (laughs) that's sort of irrelevant. So um, it's about understanding how they fit into the overall context of the building and also understanding the nuances of all the different co-ops within New York City. You know, like um, we're selling a unit right now on One Fifth Avenue. One Fifth Avenue is one of the most exclusive downtown co-ops oh, yeah, below yeah, 14th yeah, Street. Yeah. I would qualify a buyer very differently for that building than I would for like an East Village co-op uh, in Alphabet, you know, in Alphabet City. So you have to understand all the different nuances. But I think to your point, a deal that doesn't close is not a deal. And so just because the buyer is paying the highest price doesn't mean that they'll qualify for the yeah, board. Doesn't mean it's the best buyer. Um, and, you know, like we have an issue right now with one of the deals that we're doing in a very um, sort of exclusive downtown building where the buyer is very qualified, actually someone in real estate. But the personality is such that I'm kind of concerned that he may blow up in the board interview because he's kind of a master of the universe. And if you push his buttons in the wrong way, but he could buy the apartment like 70 times over cash. Let's talk about that a little bit, Jay, from your experience. I mean, because at the end of the day, you know, the board package and the the financial scrutiny yeah. is one thing. But then you take that to the next level, which is the board interview. And I have personally seen twice where my buyers go find through the package and we've qualified them perfectly, but they get to the interview and, <laughs> you know, the, the the sun and the moon and the stars explodes. And then you say, she says, or he says, well, I got turned down. How did that happen? Keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Next well, time. I mean, there's so many layers as, as everybody has pointed out here. Uh, before I answer that question, uh, I'm going to say that one of the things, if we're all fortunate enough to have this access as uh, a trial balloon or insurance is to have the managing agent run it by somebody on the board. It's amazing how many people do not do that. Sure. Agreed. And if something's Agreed. close, at least you're hopefully get feedback from the board. And sometimes the board will say flat out, don't waste your time. Mm-hmm. Um, or they'll say this looks good, which is obviously a good sign. But it's interesting when it gets to the interview, assuming we feel great about that particular prospect um, personality. I had one uh, particular buyer, a uh, potential shareholder, who just talked too much. And we had to coach her, coach her, coach her, coach her, coach her and say, don't ask any questions. Right. because we No knew one ever got go, turned down go for down. being too boring. Right. We, we knew it was going to get down a rabbit hole of negativity, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, thank goodness she got the coaching and went in there and said very little and, and, and she passed. But, you know, my guidelines are basically be boring, right. look professional, yeah. <clears throat> just say how excited you are to be a shareholder uh, in this building. And uh, no, I don't have any plans to do any renovations. No, <laughs> <laughs> no questions. Just happy no. to be here for yeah, the don't opportunity. Ask questions. Yeah. Don't ask exactly. The only so, question I, I allow my buyers to ask is at the end, so when can I move in? Right. 
That's you do? It. You let them say that, Vince? If they feel like I it's think going that's well. really presumptuous. I would. <laughs> I, I I tell them, you know, it is the rare time, even if you feel like it's going great, that they're going to say, "Oh, wonderful, welcome to the building." Even if you know, I've had a few times where in more laid back co-ops right. where my buyers right. have been invited to the building barbecue. That's probably a good sign. They're going to be approved, right? But I would never. I, I would say no. Thank no, you for the opportunity. I, meaning it's like after that is said to you, like you know, welcome to the building, or you know, thank you, nice to meet okay. you. Then you say, hey, great, you know, sure, boring not a word up front and i think buyer i think board members are aware of what we tell our buyers to say and not say but that's okay because if you do say something that's a little off color you know it doesn't take much for them to say not happening here I had one board ask my buyers if they had read the house rules, and my buyers honestly said no. However, they had signed the form that said that they had read them. (laughs) So I always make sure to go. They didn't get turned down, thankfully, but um, I always make sure to coach. You know, you're not going to be quizzed Mm -hmm. on it, but you have to say you signed that you read them. So be prepared to do that. Sometimes they'll ask, do you have any plans or interest in being on the board? I say, if you do, be honest and say, you know, with time, of course. But if not, no, I think from what I can tell, the board is doing a fantastic job. Keep on doing (laughs) what you're doing. You know, I I do actually have kind of a, a detailed checklist of questions that I go through. I probably spend a 10-minute prep call with all of my buyers. So to sum it up, like like everything else, you know, when I tell people, especially when they want to sell their co-op on their own, do not do that, people, because it's a process. Mm. It's very oh difficult. Yeah. You need us we, for co-ops above all. <laughs> we have years and years of experience to, to vet people, to look at people, to see what can... Look, I, I've said it before, and I and I say it to, to my buyers sometimes, there, every building is not meant for everybody. And even if you want to live in a building, you cannot. And that's just the way it is. But the good news about New York City is there are so many other buildings, you will always that's find right. a home. Moving on, more than a few uh, industries call New York City a major hub for business. Major financial institutions, publishers, designers, etc., cetera, uh, and the latest software uh, companies of all their headquarters here, which means that thousands of people from students to experience come from all over the world and all over the country wanting to live here and rent here. It's likely not a surprise that the most um, astonishing aspect of New York City real estate scene to international renters are financials, starting with the asking price and paying a broker's fee, which doesn't exist typically outside the U.S. because owners pretty much pay that. The requirements for renting an apartment, including having an income of 40 to 50 times the monthly rent and a credit history in the U.S. also sometimes comes as a shock to international renters. So we've all worked with these high-level people or even students just starting out, mm-hmm. transferring from Southeast Asia, from Europe, from other states within the union, and they say, well, I could rent an apartment here. I just got a good job and I'm ma- making X amount of dollars per year. Well, guess what? Not so easy. How do we get renters in all of these buildings through an application, including a broker fee, when they're international People. I mean, I think the stickiest ones are the diplomats because the visitors doesn't want to take them. Worse. They have to be willing to waive their diplomatic immunity when it comes to the rent. Which is also a good conversation. There are a number of startups in the space right now that are trying to cover this, like Insurance and other companies like that. So we we deal with this all the time because we have a big, you know, rental portfolio that we handle. And um, there are a lot of tenants who can't qualify for the amount of rent or they don't have the security or their parents aren't wealthy or what have you. There are a lot of resources available today that weren't available 10 years ago. But at the end of the day, sometimes you have to pay six to 12 months up front if you're an international student. Yeah, but I'll give the counterpoint to that. We have landlords that won't take six to 12 months because the issue is from a tenancy perspective, if you accept rent up front and you have an issue with a tenant, over. you can't evict them because you've essentially accepted them as a tenant in good standing. So it's actually a liability on your books when you take a tenant on all the rent up front. I've not so they will not take that. that. I never really thought about it that 
that way, but that's a very interesting point, and I can see where that makes total sense. Now, it, it makes more sense to take a large security yeah. deposit. So, oh, five yeah. Deposit. yeah, you can take you can take a big security so, deposit, but if you accept rent up front yeah. and the tenant turns out to be a disaster, you can't evict them because yeah. you've accepted the rent up front. You've essentially said that mm-hmm. they're a tenant. Wow, I've never encountered yeah. that. So interesting. That's my, my quick story, and uh, you guys can relate to this. I had literally um, a Russian uh, kid whose parents were like on the fringe of like billionaires, and End of the day, and this was in a softer market, or, or uh, I should say a, a, a tighter market, they were required to, put, to pay up front 12 months and pay six months in security deposit, oh, which wow. makes sense, right? Because if you're not paying your rent after the right. first year, it takes you yep. six months to get them out. They were yep. just like, uh, you know, locked down. That's, you know, take it or leave it. Yep. That's the safest wow. approach from a landlord. A I don't know if approach. they can get away with that in today's market if I've they want to fill their space. It's so tough. Um, and you can imagine his father was was not very happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> I spend a lot of time with people up front to educate them about the market because it sounds crazy to somebody moving into New York City. And I have to let them know that I agree. It does feel a little bit crazy, but here's the reason why it works that way. And I find that the more people understand the nuances of the market, the more willing they are to be transparent. Um, I I had a client recently uh, uh, on a listing I served this year where it was a co-op, by the way, and we had multiple people interested. And uh, at least one of the applicants I could tell was going to be a problem with the board because of transparency. And they didn't like that in New York City, you have to provide all of this information. And so, like, once again, we moved on from that person. But I, I spend a lot of time with potential tenants up front, just educating them about how New York works. Yeah. I, I usually tell people that it's just not a logical business. And whatever you see online <laughs> is not shopping on Amazon. You can't just click it and take it. You have to qualify you for can. it. Oh, wow. Well, speaking of Amazon, did you guys hear late yes, breaking news? Half of their news. headquarters is going to be coming in Long Island City. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Good news. Awesome. Huge. Huge. Good news yeah. for Northern Thank Brooklyn. Thank you, Amazon. Thank but you, Jeff. Good news for Northern Brooklyn. It's great for everybody. Yeah. Great, and all those apartments on the market in Long Island City. 100%. That's huge. Yeah. Very, very. Oh, my God. Long Island City. Those The values are going to go straight sky high. Anyway, moving on to our last uh, probably uh, question. There is no doubt that New York City real estate can be scary. Rising rents, killer co-op board interviews, as we talked about, hoarders and bed bugs <laughs> are many of them. <laughs> <laughs> Who's had bed bugs? <laughs> Listen, it, it, you know, it all exists. <laughs> these are the things that some New Yorkers fear. And if you live here long enough, you will probably experience one or two of these real estate nightmares yourself. As a longtime New Yorker myself, I have been plagued with a few of my own, including a stalker. And yeah. apartment renovations going awry. So, wow. in the spirit of the <laughs> a stalker, Hall- I must wow. hear that story. So, then. in the spirit of the Halloween season <laughs> that just passed, I ask you to tell me the craziest thing that ha- has happened to you in your New York experience, uh, long term, short term, whatever. I mean. Look, can you start us off with the stalker story? Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) please. We always say that this is the greatest city in the world. There is no place like New York City. (laughs) Things happen here that people, your own family, you know, an hour away would never even understand. It's true. And sometimes we have to be, you know, troopers and kind of suck it up and say, all right, this is our town. This is my town. I'm famous for saying my town, New York City. (laughs) But there are sometimes issues. Famous stories? Yes, I was. I had a stalker for about six months before I even realized Vince. I had a stalker. No uh, way! Uh, Did you find out what happened? Please details. Yeah. I was moving. Yeah. I was moving, and so I was waiting outside. I was living in a brownstone at the time, and I was and I was on the the first floor, and I was wow. waiting for uh, the moving truck to come. And I saw this person lurking about, and I kind of thought, 
remember meeting him a while ago, a long while ago, and I thought, interesting. And then every once in a while, I felt like as I was walking home from the train um, that somebody was following me, oh but yet goodness. I didn't see anybody. Well, long oh, story short, creepy. Wow. I lived on the first floor, and so I would come in, and I'd put my light on, and so from the sidewalk, you can see that. And apparently, oh, this person gosh. was standing outside my window for like months and months and months, oh, waiting for so me nice. to either open the curtain or whatever, and I thought... Oh, wow. And so the day I was moving, he approached me and said, "Where are you moving?" I said, "Yes. Who are you?" You know, and it went from there. And he said, he oh. to, "Did he follow the moving truck? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hope you didn't inherit him." He in your said, new place. "I've been watching you for a very long time." And I just said, "Okay, so nine one one." Yeah. And he ran, and that was the last I've seen him. This is twenty. Three years ago? God bless wow. you. Ben. And you've never lived on a first floor since, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the good news is I didn't even know I was being stalked until I was, I, I discovered it at the very end. Yeah. And I mean, it's oh, like. you broke his heart by moving, <laughs> yeah. Vince. No, Vince, you, you gave him the a million to one line and he said, you're saying there's a chance. He said, where are you moving to? I said, Florida, Miami. Where else it's would I go? It's kind of complimentary, to? Vince. You know, I mean? it's very complimentary. <laughs> you are a celebrity, after all. <laughs> yeah, be thankful, Vince. When I said Florida, he looked at me like, "Oh well, shit, I can't do that. That's not, not going to happen." His love only went so far. Oh, Vince. So, on a more macabre note, um, I had a rental in a Sutton um, co-op or condop, and um, we were struggling to rent it and. One morning we woke up and found out that there was unfortunately a tragic murder in the in the in the uh, in the apartment below. So I immediately got on the phone and said, "Guys, just so you know, the owners." I said, "We're going to have to take this off for a little while." And so that was that was really sad. I had, a, wow. I had a guy last year that used to sit in his living room and smoke pot while I showed the apartment. No, he did not. And just stare everybody and, That's and awesome. just blast well, house music. Trying to sell the apartment. <laughs> Depending on your clientele, that could have been. Did he share it? I know. Yeah, man. No, he was actually a foreign <laughs> renter. <laughs> his parents <laughs> paid the four year up front. So I, I FaceTimed him to rent the apartment. I, I knew it was a bad idea. And the landlord didn't want um, a lawyer in the apartment. We have a lawyer and his girlfriend. I was like, this guy's perfect. We took this um, Belgian kid who I FaceTimed and rented the apartment to Thanksgiving last year. And then he was just trying to torture me, uh, you know, with the showings and everything. And he just smoked pot. Like, all right, guys, every I'm, single showing. Really hate, hate to end it here, but I'm being told, got to close. Got to go now. All right, we're out of time. That's high for today. I know, but I'll vote. That's our show for today. Thanks to my guest, Robin, and all of my panelists. Always shoot for the moon, everyone, because if you miss, you'll still land among the stars. And smile in the mirror and do that every morning, and you'll see the big difference in your own life. Thank you, Yoko Ono. Be kind to one another for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and have a great day, everybody. Go out and vote. Election day. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. We'll be right back.